This morning, um, John's preaching from Galatians 1, or Galatians 6, rather, starting in verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially those who are of the household of faith. This is God's word for us this morning. Yeah, you may be seated. Uh, open up your Bibles, if you will, to uh, the passage that Linda just read in Galatians chapter 6. Uh, Galatians chapter 6 in your book, in your phone, in your scroll, whatever you brought with you this morning. Uh, Galatians chapter 6. If you're new to the Bible, that's in the New Testament, uh, the front quarter of the Bible. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the stories about Jesus. Then there's Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, and then it's Go Eat Popcorn Christian. Uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. I went to seminary for five years for that. Go Eat Popcorn Christian. Uh, as you're turning there, uh, we're in this series called Life Together, and we're exploring uh, what we're calling the unseen barriers to true community. Uh, that uh, the way of Jesus teaches us that uh, we are called to be in community. We're called to share life with one another. Uh, but it also teaches us that the primary issue, some of the primary issues that come up in community uh, stem not necessarily from how other people treat us, although that is a factor, uh, but actually from our inner lives, our inner world. Or as we looked at last week, James chapter 4 says, what causes fights and divisions among you is that your desires wage war within you. Uh, so we're exploring how our inner life and how the inner life that Jesus leads us into uh, can heal some things, can reveal some things, uh, that as we work through those things will actually lead us into a healthier and a holier kind of life together, uh, the kind of life that Jesus intends for us. Uh, now this morning as we dive into uh, what we're going to talk about this morning, I think the best way to kind of lean into it is to offer a couple of uh, examples, a couple of scenarios of where this barrier tends to show up. Uh, so I've got three scenarios that I want to walk through. Uh, that might be familiar to you, and I just want to give this a caveat. Uh, I have been in church community for 34 years, uh, and I'm 34, so like from like birth I've been in church spaces, so if this sounds like it's about you, uh, that's, I'm not writing this about you, but you should probably pay attention to that, but if it sounds like something that you've experienced, uh, just know I'm not, I didn't think of like you when I wrote this. So uh, just some, uh, some common experiences in community uh, that I think will reveal kind of what we're talking about. Uh, so, uh, scenario number one, it's Saturday night, uh, and you get a text on your phone from someone who's on your serve team uh, telling you or asking you if you can fill in for them on Sunday morning. 
Uh, and uh, they don't really give a reason why, but they're just asking you for help. Now, here's the thing about you, though. Uh, over the past several weeks, you have had to work on a Sunday, you've had sick kids on a Sunday, uh, and you have missed a Sunday. Uh, and so to say yes to this would actually require that you would miss service for like the fourth week in a row, uh, but you're afraid of letting the other person down. And so you say yes, even though everything in you wants to say no. Scenario number two, uh, you're hanging out after house church, and you're having just a great time. Good conversation, there's stories that are being told, there's connection that's happening. There's only one problem. Uh, your spouse is at the door and giving you that look that says it's time to go. Right? And not that like friendly, hey, we should probably move to the door. It's like it is time to go. The kids are there, they've got coats and shoes on, but you are in a conversation. The other person is sharing a story, and you can tell that this story is just ramping up. Right? You know you're going to be here for a little while, and so now you have this anxiety growing in you. What do I do? Uh, and so eventually your, your spouse takes the kids out to the car, uh, and 15 minutes later you go out to a car full of screaming kids and a deathly silent spouse. Scenario number two. Lastly, it's Friday night. You and your spouse or you and your friends are finally sitting down to watch that Marvel movie you've been longing to watch. You're excited, you've popped popcorn, when all of a sudden there's a knock at the door. On the other side of the door is your neighbor. Now you have been praying for an opportunity to love your neighbor, uh, you've been asking for an opportunity, and that opportunity has now come literally knocking at your door. You open the door, and you can tell that your neighbor is in some kind of emotional or mental distress. Uh, they ask you to help them with something in their house, uh, and you don't think it's going to take very long, so you say yes, you go over, you help them, you even pray for them while you're there, and it seems that you've kind of done what they asked you to do. So you come back home, you turn on the movie, uh, and about halfway through the movie, there's another knock at the door. It's your neighbor. They're more distressed. They're more upset. And now you're beginning to wonder if this loving your neighbor thing is going to cost you more than you thought. Because each one of these scenarios is common for most of us. Uh, or a similar scenario shows up a lot of times in our lives. And, and on the surface, it could seem like, well, it's a matter of conflict or it's a matter of tension, but it's really at its core, beneath everything, a question of boundaries. Of where I start and where I end and where other people start and where other people end. And what am I responsible for and what are they responsible for? Uh, because it's oftentimes in that reality of like, what are the things that I should do? What are the things that I should say yes to? And what are the things that I should say no to? That we have a lot of inner tension and a, little, a lot of inner conflict that can even spill out into resentments and bitterness, frustration with other people, or burnout. You see, boundaries are this really fundamental reality to our lives. In fact, uh, in their best-selling book, uh, Boundaries, Henry Cloud and Stuart Townsend, uh, define boundaries this way. They say boundaries define us. They define us. They define what is me and what is not me. A boundary shows me where I end and someone else begins, leading me to a sense of ownership, that I know what I'm responsible for. And so I can say yes to the things that I should say yes to and no to the things that I shouldn't say no, or that I should say no to. Uh, all of us, at some point or another, struggle with this reality. I'm like, what am I responsible for and what should I do? So let me just give you a couple of signs or symptoms that you might have a boundary issue uh, in your life. And this just comes from my own personal experience and kind of walking with people and reading some stuff from Cloud and Townsend. The first sign or symptom that you might have a boundary issue is that you compare yourself to other people. Now, we all do this, right? It's just kind of part of being social creatures is that we all compare ourselves to other people. But this is a little bit deeper. You get your sense of worth or your sense of value or your sense of belonging in comparison to other people. So when somebody is less popular than you, you kind of get a boost. If you feel like somebody's more popular than you, you kind of uh, get down on yourself. 
Right? You compare yourself to other people and size up where you fit in the room. The second sign or symptom of a boundary issue is that you avoid conflict, uh, particularly at all costs, right? So if someone asks you to do something, even if you had plans, even if you don't want to, you say yes because that's easier than getting into it or saying no. Uh, third sign or symptom is over or undersharing. Over or undersharing, both are the same issue. Uh, oversharing is I'm in a group and I'm just sharing a, a little bit too much information. I'm getting a little bit too much into the relationship between me and my spouse in this space, in mixed company, and it's starting to make everyone feel a little awkward. Or it means I'm taking up all of the oxygen in the room. I'm, I'm just taking up all of the talking time or all of the sharing time, and I'm not actually stopping to listen to what other people are saying. The flip side is also true where when people are sharing intimate things or we're starting to get open up and, and share what's really going on in our lives, you feel kind of uh, your inner life sort of walling up. And so the more that people share, the more you kind of clam up and, and just don't talk. It's a boundary issue. And lastly, and probably most obviously, is burnout. All right, we've said the yes to lots of things and lots of good things, lots of things that it seems like you should say yes to, uh, but it has resulted in you being tired, exhausted, grumpy, resentful, and with nothing left to give. These are all boundary issues. Uh, and so what I want to show you this morning is from the way of Jesus and the teachings, particularly in Galatians, uh, how we should think about boundaries, how we should think about where I start and where other people end. Uh, but I want to just kind of give you one last thing from Cloud and Townsend because I think it'll just help it kind of like identify like where this actually plays out. They, they identify four common boundary issues. All of us have uh, a struggle with boundaries to one extent or another, and they identify four of these uh, in particular that have to do with what you say yes to and what you say no to. Uh, so the first uh, struggle with this is what they call compliance. And compliance, uh, they have an inability to say no. And so they say this, compliance take on too many responsibilities, too few boundaries, not by choice, but because they're afraid. They're afraid of conflict. They're afraid of issues. So they always say yes. Uh, the second is what they call avoidance. Avoidance say no to good things. They have an inability to ask for help, to recognize one own, one's own needs, and to let others in. Avoidance withdraw when they are in need, and they don't ask for the support of others. So the more that you're going through it, the more you just kind of shut other people out. Those have to do with what I say yes to or what I say no to. The other two have to do with how I respond to other people's boundaries. So when someone says yes to me or when someone says no to me. Uh, the, the third category is what they call controllers. Uh, controllers don't respect other people's boundaries. So when someone says no, uh, I can't respect that. And they say actually in their book that the primary problem of individuals who can't hear no, which they say is different from not being able to say no, is that they tend to project responsibility for their lives onto others. Catch that? So there, there, there's too much entanglement between me and you. So when you say no, I take that as a personal rejection. And so they say that people in this category tend to uh, do one of two things. They either get aggressive, and so they fight back, or they start calling names, or they really push back, or they get manipulative. And so I try to get around your boundary in some kind of way. The last category are what they call non-responsives. And non-responsives, when someone has a need, uh, I'm closed off to that. I don't want to hear that. And so uh, it happens in one of two ways. You either get really critical towards people who are needy or to find, who find themselves in a place of need, uh, or you are so absorbed in your own issues uh, that you have no time and space to consider other people, which in extreme forms, they describe this as narcissism. Now, here's the thing. All of us are somewhere in one of those categories. Right? I tend to be a compliant uh, until I get frustrated and then I become an avoidant. So I take on lots of responsibilities, 
uh, and I put it on myself, and then I get frustrated. That happened this morning. I was literally moving the couch off the stage this morning. I didn't ask for help, and I was getting frustrated. And thankfully, someone else on the, like, the worship team said, hey, let's help you out with that. Why? Because I'm compliant. I'm going to just take it on myself, even though it's hard and frustrating, and, and I'm not going to ask for help. Right? So all of us are somewhere in one of these categories, and depending on a relationship we have, it often moves around. Uh, and this gets particularly, I think, difficult in Christian community. Uh, because in Christian community, here's the thing, uh, Jesus teaches us to love our neighbors. Right? That's going to be costly. He teaches us to care for other people. That's going to require some time and energy. And, and even Jesus teaches, like, like, we should expect to take up our cross and follow me and to deny myself. And so it can become very easy to say, well, this is just the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is just, I should always say yes. I should always care for other people. But what Galatians 6 invites us to consider is how boundaries actually allow us to love. How they actually allow us to love other people in a way that is healthy, in a way that is following the way of Jesus, in a way that seeks to help people discover who Jesus is, not trying to save them. Uh, so I want you to look at in, uh, in Galatians chapter 6, uh, the text that we have in front of us, uh, because what he's going to invite us into is a, is a way to think about ourselves and others that will allow us to love people well, while also having good boundaries that will lead us into true community. All right, so uh, I want to look at particularly two verses, because there's two verses that seem to contradict in what Paul says. Uh, verse 2, on the one hand, he says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So on the one hand, it, says, it seems like he's saying, hey, we need to help other people, or we need to carry the burdens that other people have. And in fact, this is what Jesus calls us to. But then verse 5, he says, each will have to bear his own load. So which is it? Am I responsible for other people's people's burdens, or am, am I each, are each of us responsible for ours? And I just want to stop and, and note that the tension of those two verses, right, this is kind of the wisdom of Scripture, the tension of those two verses is what you and I are trying to figure out all the time. We're always trying to figure out who am I and who are you. What is our relationship right, like? So even that tension or the seeming contradiction in there just expresses the reality of how Scripture understands us as social, social creatures. But, but if we peel back the layers of what Paul is actually saying, I think we'll, we'll begin to see uh, the wisdom of these verses. So first I want to look at verse 5. Uh, he says, each will have to bear his own load. Uh, now, notice a couple things. It's a future sentence. He's looking to the future and saying, in the future, each will have to bear his own load. Now, that word load uh, in the Greek has this idea of kind of everyday stuff I carry. Uh, I like to think about it this way. Uh, this is my day pack. Uh, I carry this every day. Uh, in this, I typically have a laptop, uh, a Bible, a notebook, lots of chargers, uh, some snacks that are mine, not yours. Uh, and, and this is what I carry, right? I'll share, you. I'll share my snacks if you really need them. I'm a diabetic, so it's kind of medically necessary. Uh, I'm getting called out for being compliant with that one. Um, so we have this day pack, right? So this is what I am responsible for. And I can carry this all day, right? I load this up, like when I go to Goodyear Metro Park, I put my hammock in this, I can walk around the whole park. This is what that word load means, that each one of us has been given this responsibility. Now, here's the other thing. Um, if you were at the marriage night last week, uh, Todd and Jillian introduced this concept of staying in your circle. Right, so here's your circle, right? This is what uh, I am called to. Uh, as an image bearer of Jesus, you have been given a certain degree of responsibility and authority. That's part of what it means to be an image bearer. God gives us authority and freedom to make decisions and to act within a certain parameter of what he has given us responsibility for. 
And so what he is saying, what Paul is saying is, is when you and I stand before God, which is kind of the Christian vision of the future, is that we will stand before God one day and give an account for our lives, what God is going to look at in our lives is what we did with the things that he gave us and the things that we were responsible for. Now, what are those things that are in my circle? What are those things that I am responsible for? Uh, Cloud and Townsend in their book, they identify a couple things, and I think these are really, really good, right? The one thing is I'm responsible for my relationship with Jesus. I think that's the primary thrust of what Paul is saying is, is that when I stand before God, I can't say, well, you know what, God, my, my mom was just a really solid Christian. Why? Because she's not in my circle. I can't depend on other people to, to, to get me into a right relationship with God. I am responsible for my relationship with God where I stand with him. And if I have turned from my sin and trusted in him, that is my responsibility. And then my life following Jesus and the disciplines that I adopt and the things that I choose to do and the prayer life that I develop, these are things that are within my circle to develop. Now, God's spirit dwells within me and gives me the strength to do those things. But what I do with that is in my circle. What else is in my circle? My, my emotions are in my circle. No one can make me feel things. Now, I react to people and I respond to people, but what I do with my emotions is within my circle. Uh, my pace, right, my limits, the things that I say yes to, the things that I say no to, that's in my circle. Uh, my choices, those are in my circle as well. In fact, if you read further in Galatians chapter 6, he says, uh, each will reap what he sows. Right? So when I make a decision, when I make a choice, the consequences of that choice are also mine, whether that's good or bad. So he says, if you reap in the flesh, if you make sinful choices or sinful decisions that move you away from Jesus, the consequences of that are in my circle. And so what he is inviting us into is to take responsibility for each of us in in my life following Jesus and my choices. And that is what it means to carry your load, is to be in this circle and doing the things that God has called me to as I follow Jesus. And when we stand before God one day, that's what he's going to ask us about. That's what he's going to evaluate. That's what he's going to consider is how did you follow Jesus with the things that I gave you? Now, with that in mind, what does verse 2 then tell us? All right, what does verse 2 tell us? Uh, so take a look at verse 2. It says this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, first thing to notice, uh, this is not optional. It's not optional. He says, in doing this, you fulfill the law of Christ. Now, what does that mean? Uh, really what it means there is you are fulfilling the ethical, moral, and community teaching of Jesus. That whatever this is that we're going to look at in a minute, that is, this is, sums up the whole of who Jesus is and what Jesus did is by bearing one another's burdens. And so it is not optional if you want to follow the way of Jesus. And so what does it mean to then bear one another's burdens? Uh, you can think about it this way. I've got two circles because we're in a relationship. Uh, that word burdens is heavy burdens. Right? The word is different than loads that he used in verse 5. It has the sense of, of a weightiness to it. Right? Where on the one hand, in my day-to-day life, I carry a day pack, the things that I'm responsible for, the things that I can carry on, on any given day. Uh, some of us, or in fact probably a lot of us at some point or another, will find ourselves with a backpack. And backpack, I didn't practice this with a mic, a backpack, right? This can carry like 80 pounds in this, right? And so I'm over here in my circle, and I have this heavy load, this burden. 
Now, the teaching of what Paul is saying here has this idea that uh, what, it, what is this heavy burden? Right? This heavy burden is the weight or consequences of sin. Right? That, that some of us find ourselves, because of choices that we made, carrying heavier loads, carrying heavier burdens. And the thing is, I can carry this for a while, but eventually I'm going to get tired. Eventually I'm going to get worn out. Uh, so it has this idea of consequences of, of sinful choices that I have made, but also sinful choices that others have made that affect me. Right? So others have maybe caused some pain or some hurt in my life, and so there's an extra burden that I carry in life. Or sin, the structure of sin and the power of sin has actually made my life circumstances harder. It could be through something like chronic pain uh, or, or a disease that affects me. Uh, something that, that I carry that is more than just the daily responsibility of following Jesus. And so when Paul says, bear one another's burdens, what he is saying is those of us right, who are taking care of our responsibilities following Jesus in this circle, following Jesus also means that we have to reach out and help other people as they carry their burdens. And that's a really important distinction to make. Right? Paul doesn't say, hey, take their burden on, yourself, on yourself. No, he says, from where you are following Jesus, in your obedience and responsibility to him, reach out and offer a hand. Reach out and offer a shoulder. Right? Do what you can to care for that person as they carry the burdens that life and sin has placed on them. And oftentimes, this is where our issue lies. Right? This is where our, our boundary issue lies, is, is how do I care for people well uh, when they're carrying heavy burdens? And, and also, if I'm carrying a heavy burden, right, how, do I, how should I expect people to care for me? And, and I think at a very deep emotional and spiritual level, what this dynamic tends to reveal to us is that we are still looking for a savior. Right? I'm looking for someone to save me, or I'm looking for someone who needs to be saved. And that's often where our boundary issues come up. Because you see, in order to understand the gospel, we actually have to understand this primary idea of boundaries. Right? Because at the very beginning of the story of the Bible, what do we see? We see God who exists in his own circle, Within a, with his own power, with his own authority, and what does God choose to do? He creates a universe that is not him, but is in relationship to him. And then he places humanity in that creation and says, reflect me. Know who I am, but we are not God. And so part of that is God says, I have the authority to say, this is good and this is bad. That's a boundary. And what do we do? We do what we always do. We say, oh, there's a boundary. Let's see. Let me test it. Let me, let me work around it. Let me manipulate it. Let me see what I can do. That's what our, our forefathers did in the story of Genesis, and that's what we do all the time. And just like if someone violates your boundaries, it creates a tension. It creates a rupture. That's what happens between us and God whenever we violate one of his boundaries, whenever we sin, whenever we do what he says not to do. And so it creates this rupture, this distance between us and God. Now, here's the thing, though. God doesn't say, you know what, guys, sin, sin doesn't matter. It's not that big a deal. Because what he would then be doing is he would be absorbing the cost of that on himself. Right? It's just like when someone hurts you, and you say, ah, it's not a big a deal. It hurts you. Right? So sin is an offense. It is, a, it is a wrong against God. And so for God to say, hey, it's not that big of a deal, would actually be God being untruthful and unloving. And so what does God do? He does two things. 
He offers Jesus, which in effect does two things. One is this. He takes the heavy burden of our sin, right, the consequence of our decisions, the sinful things that we have done, the way that we've treated ourselves and other people and God, and he places that on Jesus, and Jesus takes that to the cross. And in doing that, God does two things. He satisfies the punishment for sin. Right? Because remember, you can't just say, hey, sin's not a big deal. Just like if someone hurts you, you can't say, yeah, it's not a big deal. No, it actually hurts. And so God places the heavy burden of our sin on Jesus so that our sin is paid for, it is dealt with, but also makes a way for reconciliation. It also makes a way for us to be restored and repaired in our relationship with God. Right? So this is really fundamentally important to get because you know, we want God to just give us a pass on our sin. And God just say, ah, it's not that big of a deal, but we wouldn't do that with our relationships. And so God offers a way for the heavy burden of our sin to be taken on the shoulders of Jesus. But then, and this is the key, he invites us to return to him. He invites us to return to him. That He says, I have made a way. I have, I have come here right, to reach out to you to take care of your sin, but I need you to turn from your sin and trust in me. Trust in me. I need you to acknowledge that there was a harm. I need you to acknowledge that sin did cause a rupture. I need you to own that. And if you do, I have already made a way for this heavy burden to be dealt with. Right? So God doesn't just kind of say, hey, blank check to everybody. He says, no, if you turn from your sin to trust in Jesus, I've made a way for this burden to be lifted and for our relationship to be restored. This idea of boundaries is so important to get because oftentimes we confuse us and God and we confuse us and other people. Right? And oftentimes when we're trying to care for people or we need cared for, we're, we're actually looking for a savior. But we already have a savior, and that is Jesus. Right? So let me just give you a way to think about this. Like if you're a, if you're a compliant, right, you, the, the false gospel, the false good news that you believe, the savior that you're looking for is the other person. Right? That, that you are my savior. Right? So I'm going through something and I need your approval, or I need you to say yes, or I need you to like me. And so, and so I'm looking to you to save me. I'm looking to you to, to do for me what I can't do for myself. If you're an avoidant, the false gospel that you believe is that I'm my savior. I'm, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to shoulder this. I'm going to do what I can. I don't need other people. And so, and so the heavier that life gets, I tend to just take it on myself and say, I, I'm my savior. If you are a controller, you think that I am your savior. That you need me. And that if you would just let me, I would fix your problems. I would make your life right. I would make your life good again. And if you're a non-responsive, you believe that you don't need a savior. And people who need saviors are suckers. But none of those is true. None of those is the gospel. The gospel is that Christ has made a way that he is our savior. And so if we turn from our sin and trust in him, which is acknowledging the wrong and embracing the, the, the remedy, we will find the life that we've been called to. And so oftentimes we get really confused because I'm either trying to save you or expecting you to save me rather than us finding Jesus together. And this is where I think the wisdom of this, uh, this text comes to play because he offers, I think, a couple of ways for us to grow in our life together in a way that will help us remember that Jesus is our Savior, that I'm not your Savior, that you're not my Savior. And so as we carry our burdens, whether they're heavy or just the day-to-day -day responsibilities of my life, that this is how I can grow in health with Jesus that will then result in health in my relationship with you, in healthier boundaries that will help me point you to Jesus where I'm often tempted to point you to myself. 
All right, so I just want to offer in the last couple of minutes that we have, uh, I think, three practices from this teaching and also some of Paul's other teachings that will help us develop better boundaries in our lives. That will then, in effect, help us be able to love one another in a healthier way that will point us to Jesus. All right, the first practice is explore your past. Exploring your past. Uh, most boundary issues, most psychologists are, are on the same page about this, is that most boundary issues stem from your childhood. Uh, that you learn before you can even say yes or no what you should say yes to and what you should say no to. Uh, that you learn from your family of origin and your parents and, and your life growing up, right, what is good and what is bad. And, and what you should say yes to and what you should say no to. And so from a very early age, you can, be, you can really struggle with boundaries that you may not even realize until you get into adulthood. And now you're in a marriage, or now you're trying to separate from your parents, and now these issues arise. And so exploring your past is part of uh, beginning to be aware of where did I get my boundaries from? Uh, and particularly if you've had painful experiences in your past, painful boundary violations in your past, boundaries can be very hard for you in your adulthood because there's a, a deep wound in you that God still needs to heal. Uh, but the wisdom of Jesus actually offers a, a profound way to think about this. And this is uh, what the Bible calls putting off your old self. Putting off your old self. If you were to flip one letter over to Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, the Apostle Paul is teaching a similar teaching on community life together. Uh, and he, he uses this picture of putting off our old self. Uh, it says Colossians there. It should say Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 uh, he says this, uh, he says, uh, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed to practice every kind of impurity. All right, so he's, he's talking about who we are before we know Jesus. And he uses this picture of a Gentile and, and what, it, what is true of this person before they know Jesus. Uh, there's a futility to their thinking. Right? They don't have this clarity of thought about themselves, God, or others. They're darkened in their understanding because they're cut off from God. And there's an ignorance to them that has actually led to a hardness of heart, a callousness, or we might say a, a, a too firm of a boundary between them and God. But this has actually resulted in uh, sensuality, that there's kind of, I'm all over the place with my boundaries, I'm saying yes to things that I shouldn't say yes to. And so I'm all over the place. I become callous. I'm ignorant to God, myself, and others. But verse 20, he says this, this is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Here's the key, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. He says, put off your old self. Right? That's how you used to relate. That's how you used to act. That's the old pattern of thinking and relating. Right? That's that manner of life for it. That's what that means. And he says, put that off. Right? Now, this is a command to you and me. That, that Jesus is the one who makes us new, but then the journey of discipleship, of growing in the way of Jesus, is to put off old habits and old practices of how I have related to myself, God, and others, so that I can more faithfully and fully follow Jesus into wholeness and into holiness. And so he says, put it off. Put off the old pattern of relating to people. In verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Have clarity in your thinking about who you are and about who God is. 
and put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So put on the practices and the habits of Jesus and how he related. And this will lead to righteousness and holiness to the life that God wants for you. And the result is in verse 25. Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. That this putting off the old self, which we would call exploring your past and understanding your old patterns and habits of relating before you knew Jesus, as you renew your mind, as you put on the practices of Jesus, it leads you into a healthier community with other people where you can speak the truth with your neighbor. Where oftentimes we don't speak the truth because it creates conflict or because it's going to create tension. But instead, we're invited into community. So exploring your past is, I think, one of those foundational beginning points to say, what is the life that Jesus is calling me into? And how can I grow in this so that I can be healthier as I enter into community? Uh, The second practice is embracing solitude. Embracing solitude. Now, here's the thing. Uh, We're in a series on community, so why are you talking about being alone? Solitude is important practice in community. Look at verse uh, 3 of of, uh, Galatians 6 again. He says, If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You see, we tend to deceive ourselves. We tend to think that we're either more important than we are or less important than we are. And so, particularly in the context of community, it becomes very confusing to know who I am and know who you are. And we can really quickly become entangled and enmeshed, and I get my sense of worth and value from you and your approval. And so what does he say then? Verse 4, he says, Let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. See, what he's saying is, is, is we need to take a step back from community intentionally to test our work. Now, the word test is the same word that God uses when he, he says that he tests or he scrutinizes teachers and elders in the church. There's an evaluation to say, uh, who actually am I? Who am I in light of who God is? Am I living the life that he wants me to live? And if we don't do this, we really quickly develop a sense of self that's based in comparison to other people. You say, where do I, where do I fit uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, one of my favorite quotes in it, he says this, Let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound pitfalls and perils. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. So if you're always in community, lots of words, lots of feelings, lots of interaction. But on the other hand, one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. It's just me. I'm going to be really confused about who I am. But in solitude, we take a step back, say, God, this is who I am. Would you test me? Would you reveal to me who you are? And here's the, here's the profound thing about what Paul says. Uh, in the last half of verse 4, uh, this caught me this week and it, it, it messed with me. Because here's what he says. He says, his reason to boast will be in himself alone. Now, I cannot remember another time in all of the Bible where we are encouraged to boast in ourselves. When you think about it, like pride is seen as this enemy of the spiritual life. Uh, there's verses that say God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So, so Paul is saying something pretty radical here. And what is he saying? You see, here's what happens in solitude. All right, so this is me and my circle. In solitude, I stand before God, no one else. And I allow God to teach me. 
to examine me. And what will happen as I do that is I will gain a godly confidence in who I am. A kind of confidence that's not built in comparison to other people or or somehow trying to be better than other people, but the confidence that comes from knowing who I am and who God has made me to be. And so when I embrace solitude as a part of my practice in community, in essence, what God does is he invites me to fill my circle. Like, be who he has called me to be. Be uh, who Jesus has made me to be in confidence and clarity, not in myself, but in God and who he has called me to be. And this is what happens in solitude. Because so often we get into community with other people and and we start uh, trying to fill what's lacking in our circle and other people. And so what does he say? That as we do this, we will be able to boast in who God has made you to be, not in comparison to other people. Not in comparison of where I fit with other people. Whereas, uh, I love this quote from Henry Nouwen. He said this, uh, In solitude, we become aware that our worth is not the same as our usefulness. My worth, right, what God sees in me, is not the same as whether or not I'm helping you or fixing you or solving a problem. And so embracing solitude is, is intentionally stepping back for a time in community so that I can know God and be known by God. And the end result of this will be the third practice. The third practice, I will then be able to engage conflict. Engage conflict. The whole of this teaching begins in chapter 6, verse 1, where there's a conflict in the church. That someone is sinning, that there's a transgression. So Paul says, you who are spiritual should restore him in gentleness. Now that word, you're spiritual, that doesn't mean like you're coming down off your holy mountain like a monk. And it doesn't just mean like those who have a seminary degree, it's your, your turn to restore this. No, that all stems from the life in the Spirit that he's talked about in chapter 5. Or, or, or really, as we say, as you seek God and to be known by God in your circle, you then engage conflict from a position of gentleness. Right? Like you all know, when you get into a fight, like, there's that moment where you know you can just crush the person. Where you know just what to say, like particularly your spouse if you're married. Uh, because what happens when I, when I crush you is I feel good for a moment. I feel like I've won for a moment. But as we embrace solitude and allow God to te- teach us who we are, I can engage conflict not from a position of I'm trying to win, or I'm trying to beat you up, but from a position of saying we need to follow Jesus together. I want you to have the wholeness that I have found as I follow Jesus. And so let's seek him together. And so let's say no to this thing so that we can more fully and faithfully follow Jesus. And and so I think this gets to what Paul is saying later on in verses 9 and 10. He says, Let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who have the household of faith. Now, a couple things here, right? He says this, like, Don't grow weary in doing good. And then he talks about this idea of an opportunity. Opportunity is time language. There's a timeliness to caring. And so I think it's important to think about this, like this idea of conflict in community, right? I don't have a choice if I care for somebody, right? In community, right? That is the law of Christ. The law of Christ tells me that I do need to, at some degree, care for you and be concerned about you. But I do have a choice of when and how I care for you. Right? When and how I care for you. That it is in my circle to decide, hey, this is, this is what I can do right now. 
This is when I can care for you. This is the opportunity that I have to care for you. This is how I can care for you. And, and here's the, the, the person who's carrying the heavy burden. They might not agree with that. But remember, you're not their savior. You're doing what you can to follow Jesus and to offer care for that person in the way that God has called you to. And so he says this, right? He says, he says as we have opportunity, as we have opportunity, that means that there are going to be opportunities that God is going to bring your way to care. Now, some of you who are carrying heavy burdens, uh, part of your responsibility is to say, hey, could you help me? Right? Like if you're an avoidant, you're not, you may be not giving people the opportunity to care for you because you're not asking for help. But also, it is saying that not every need that comes your way or every request that comes your way is necessarily the opportunity that God has given you to care for that person. Right? That sometimes it is okay and even necessary to say no so that you can say yes. Right? Like, so sometimes, like if you, particularly if you are feeling like you are growing weary, what that might mean is that you are giving out of your own strength and not the strength that God has given you. Right? So I, I'm, I'm trying to care for this person with my own strength and my own answers and my own solutions rather than stopping and trusting and allowing God to take care of that person. And so sometimes no is the most loving thing that you can say. And so I want you to hear me. Like if you feel like you're getting burned out in our church, right, or like if you're just like, I don't know, if you're just like tired and worn out, like it is okay to say no. Because it is better that you say no so that you can take a step back so that you can rest and rediscover who God is and who he has made you to be so that he can strengthen you, then that we somehow keep moving our church forward on the backs of burned out people. Because what that will mean is that we're, we're, we're starting our church and we're planting our church, not on the power and the movement of God, but on, on, on undifferentiated people who don't have any boundaries to say no or to say yes. And so it is better to say no and to not grow weary in, to do, in doing good than to say yes and burn out because you're doing it out of your own strength. Because as we are willing to engage conflict, it will actually lead to deeper community. We're actually dealing with the issues. We're actually following Jesus together, and we're not just gathered to, to kind of be emotionally entangled and enmeshed in all kinds of confusion about who I am and who you are. But the purpose of our community is, as we talked about last week, to draw near to Jesus. And in order to do that, we have to have a clear sense of who I am, who God has made me to be. And what power and authority and responsibility he has given me so that I can care for you in appropriate ways. Or I'm not trying to be your savior. And you're not asking me to be your savior, but I'm offering the helping hand that I can. The shoulder to lean on. The, the conversation that you need, because I can give that right now. And this is how we will move closer to Jesus together. And as a result, closer to one another. And so this is what Christ is calling us into, to bear one another's burdens. And in doing so, we will see our community become more like Jesus. Let me pray for us. Jesus, as we talk about this, uh, it's, it's a, a deep topic that goes a lot of directions and touches each one of us very differently. Uh, but you have called each one of us to follow you, to trust in you, to say yes to you. Uh, so God, this morning, I just pray, maybe there's uh, one here this morning who's just worn out and weary. They've grown tired of doing good. Uh, Spirit, would you comfort them? Would you meet them in, in these next few moments? 
to remind them that they don't have to fix everything, they don't have to save everyone, they don't have to say yes to everything. Because you are our Savior and you are in control. And so we trust you while we offer a helping hand. And God, maybe there's one here this morning who is feeling the weight of a heavy burden and they're afraid to ask for help. Spirit, would you give them the courage to say, hey, I need help. Maybe it's even, hey, I need to not do this anymore so that I can say yes to following Jesus in a deeper way. God, but we do all this because you are God and we are not. That you have made a way for us to be restored and reconciled to you. And that you promise us hope and healing and restoration and renewal as we practice your way, as we carry one another to you each and every day. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.